The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes is about you, the customer. They wouldn't be where they are today without you, and they don't take that lightly. They understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. The goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit them at thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop the family of brands that include Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Out there in Blog Talk Radio Land, Fire Engineering World, honored that you would come and spend some time with us today. And man, do we have a show for you! Michael and I have been pumped and excited about doing this ever since we started filming these things. And you know, sadly now you folks don't just get to hear our dulcet voices. Uh, you are burdened now with having to take a look at us in our various domiciles. Um, it's a privilege, man. I want you to know that gang, your time is valuable. We get it. You do not get to ever get back the heartbeats that you're going to spend with us over the next hour, hour and a half. And I want you to know, we take it seriously. And to prove that we don't mess around. We bring in the brightest and the best that our sacred calling has to offer. And that is very much true today with bringing you our buddy from FDNY, Chief Frank Lee. Um, we're going to talk about his new book. We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about mentoring. Um, and then we may even talk about some, I don't know, some odd things like dressing up in hot dog costumes or something like that. So, you know, we'll see how the we'll see how this whole thing goes today. Um, could not do it, gang. The Mikey G and Mikey D show does not function without my brother from another mother who is coming to you from usually from, you know, the sunny shores of Long Island. And today from, well, Michael, today from? The mountains of North Georgia, outside of Dahlonega, Georgia. Uh, we were here for a family reunion. I have a great family tradition that any one of my brothers and sisters turned 60. The other five, there are six of us, have to show up to you for a meal. And anybody turns 70, you can pick a spot. So we spent um, four nights in Helen, Georgia for Oktoberfest with my family. And all of them were there. And a bunch of their spouses were there. So there were 11 of us. And now uh, we are in Dahlonega with my younger brother who turned 60 in January. 
and my sister who turned 70 in August uh, were here and they're coming back from a winery. So if all of a sudden it gets real loud and crazy here, you'll know why. Okay. But I'm sitting in a rented house. Uh, the lighting is not perfect. I apologize. And I don't know how good the wireless is going to be, but we're going to try. Yeah, we won't worry about that. You look beautiful, my friend. And you're sending people to a winery in Georgia. What could go wrong? Right? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> well, um, Michael, you and I have had a kind of an interesting couple of weeks, you know, before we get into our guest. We just have been in, uh, what, Nashville and in Dallas together and doing stuff for the Firefighter Air Coalition and kind of exciting. Uh, both Nashville and Dallas and Fort Worth Fire both got firefighter air replenishment systems in their training towers. So uh, they're going to they're right now training their people in the air stand pipe so that when you know, oh, dark 30 in the middle of the night when they're a football field in the sky, they don't have to go find air, you know, at a staging area that may or may not be set up. But good times there, huh, brother? I mean, what a what a blast to hang out with Nashville and, and Texas firefighters. Oh, my goodness. They were so great and such great leadership with those people uh, working towards their people getting uh, the newest technology to make it work for the firefighters. And I mean, again, um, it helps you with your uh, high rise operations, big box stores and all that other stuff. But it's great to see people on the forefront. And we had a lot of people very interested in the systems and how the refills work and everything else. So it was really pretty cool. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, exciting, Mike, um, as you're aware, I've been invested in air and air management issues for a long time. And to see uh, leadership across the nation starting to wake up that in these big structures, we just do not have sufficient air and we're always cutting corners and we're always running out and we do what we got to do to get the job done. It's incredible to actually see leadership step up and say, we're not going to tolerate it anymore and we need you know, to get water up there for long distances, we need water standpipes and pumps and things like that. And the air standpipe now is starting to become standard for folks who are actually leading and caring about their people. And so it was cool to see. And it leads me into we're, we're going to spend some time today just talking leadership. And um, I'll tell you, it, it's been a while since I've seen buzz around a particular book coming out like I've seen with our next guest book. Um, I don't know that I get on social media um, any day, it, pretty much every time I get on and I'll look at whatever, you know, whatever the social media gods who run everything, the little things they let you watch on your feeds, you know, they kind of select what you get to see. I don't think I get on any day now that I don't see some mention, somebody excited about, somebody got a copy of our guest book, Cornerstones of Leadership. Um, and so the buzz is really high. And I, I think I can understand why. Um, Chief Lieb has um, demonstrated not only um, professional competence, you know, coming up through the ranks and volunteer and the whole nine yards and, and doing the job and FDNY at every level, which, you know, for you and Mike and I, that's important to us that you actually do the job at the various levels and you do it well. You're not just scaling to scale. That matters to us that you do it well but also engaging on issues that are tough issues. You know, the, the difficult stuff that folks don't necessarily want to talk about, like firefighter wellness and cancer and, and uh, mental wellness, you know, navigating the job and the things that come in, along with tactical proficiency, leadership, 
strategic competence, those types of things. So it doesn't surprise me, actually, you know, that, that the book, there's so much excitement around it. And uh, I'm excited. I got my copy um, and I can't wait to dig in. I've been on the road for I've been on the road for a little while, so I cannot wait to dig in to this book. But the book is Cornerstones of Leadership on and off the Fireground by our our good friend, Chief Frank Lieb from FDNY. Um, brother, welcome to the show. We're going to spend the next hour, hour and a half just letting you talk about everything that went into making this one of the most exciting things on the Internet right now. And my hope is at the end of this program, that stack of books that you have behind you is going to be gone. And it's going to be going out across the nation to to get into people's libraries and to really invest in their in their careers and in their people. So, brother, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, my brothers. Um, just, I love Big Mike. The fact that you're down in Georgia with your family, the family traditions. Family's not one thing; it's everything. Uh, I know both of you guys preach that commonly, uh, and I think that's that's just awesome. But you're not missing a show, right? You don't. It doesn't matter where you are on this planet. You're in. The, you're in the show. You're in the game, and I just. I absolutely love that. You guys are on the road an awful lot. And uh, I'm just so honored to to be on, you know, to be on your, your show. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, well, you bet. Well, let me just do just a little bio. I don't know if it's necessary or not, but let's assume there's one or two people in the corner of this great universe that don't know who you are, Chief. Um, Deputy Assistant Chief with the FDNY since 1992. Man. The olden days. Yeah, brother, back before the Dead Sea got sick. You know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> so I have 31 years. So we're fil- the day, today that we're filming this, October 25th, um, I have 31 years today. So I'm awesome. celebrating my 31st anniversary um, with two amazing leaders in our great profession that, that really know how to keep pushing forward. So I can't think of a better way than to be on a podcast with, with you guys to celebrate 31. Well, dude, I, I salute, man. That's that boy. I now now I feel like we really have to step it up. We got to honor that. <laughs> uh, you are the chief of safety for the FDNY's seventeen thousand employees. Um, you've been the chief of training, the chief of the fire academy. Um, you got all the degrees that anybody would want: the bachelor's degrees and the master's degrees, and uh, master's degree from the Naval Postgraduate School Center for Homeland Defense and Security. That's awesome. Um, on the advisory panel for ULFSRI, you know, I've had a had a chance to be a part of that and on the emeritus board, so that's good times. And are on all kinds of NFPA committees, has written countless articles. Um, I actually I'm going to mention it in one of the questions, but let me mention it now because I just think it's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. When uh, Chief Dunn, when Mike and I were interviewing Chief Dunn, remember that Michael? We had Vinny on. Oh, yeah. he, he was going through his history and going through all this incredible stuff. And he made this little side comment about how many times he had written articles for WNYF magazine. And um, he kind of made an offhanded comment of, yeah, I used to be the guy that had written the most articles for that storied historic magazine. But Frank Lee just put one in and now he's written more articles than I have for W. And I remember, Mike, we stopped and we went, oh, my gosh, that's a pretty good accomplishment. So, um, yeah, uh, all, all the stuff you could want, gang, including now speaks and teaches all over the country, and now has written one of the books that I think there are more firefighters excited about getting a copy of this than any book that is on the market today. Um, so 
brother, welcome to the Mikey G and Mikey D show. And if you don't mind, we're going to let you speak pretty much from here on out. And I just want you to tell them everything and anything you can about the book. Here's an opening salvo. Give us an overview. So you obviously felt it important enough to take the difficult task to write a book. Um, why'd you write it? What What's behind it? And how maybe is it a little bit different from some of the other books that are out there that talk about leadership concepts? Well, so, um, so first off, yeah, if, talking about Vinny Dunn, right? I mean, just to the fact that he's, you know, I had lunch with him not too long ago and that he's mentioning me as, as uh, and complimenting me. And I look at, so I just stand on the shoulders of so many great people in our fire service, not just in the FDNY, right? And we'll talk about that later when we talk about training lineage, how all these different connection points are. And, you know, I have a strong connection point to, to, to Chief Dunn and WMYF. I've, I've written somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 articles just for that publication now. Um, and I just look, I, I have learned so much from people that have written articles in that as a young firefighter, whether it's, whether it's Mike Dugan or Vinnie Dunn or just you know, Jerry Tracy, all the people that have written for that magazine. And I was the beneficiary of all that information for years. And now to have the ability to, to in some small way, pay it back. And, and the, the FDNY Foundation, which is the fundraising arm for the FDNY, they're the ones that sponsor the, um, that publication. And when I was at training, I tell you, man, if I had a request, if I needed something to be funded, they were right there. So it's just the all around system to be able to write for that magazine and contribute back where, you know, 20 years from now, somebody maybe will be reading something that I wrote. And most of the articles I wrote, especially early on, was I wrote on topics that I didn't know enough about when I responded to an incident. And that led me to, to research it and write about it. People say, man, you must be an idiot. You've written a lot of articles on stuff you didn't know en enough about. But I said, I have been a student of, of my profession since the very first day I walked into the firehouse. And if I don't know something about it, there's definitely other people that don't know about it. Um, and that was really the start of it. And then one of my, you know, a couple of my recent articles was on, uh, in the next issue of WNWF, I have a couple of articles. But in the last issue, I wrote uh, a 20-something page article on the Twin Parks fire. Uh, just because I wanted, you know, and, and I know, so you told when you write an article, 700 words, everybody reads it, 700 words, two pitches, everybody will read it. You'll get 50 people tell you they love the article. As you go up in the size, uh, you know, you get, no one reads it. Right. But with that article, it was, it was truly a labor of love to, to pay tribute to the members of the FDNY that responded to that incident because they put forth a Herculean effort. A hundred people would have been dead instead of 17 if it wasn't for the actions of the FDNY, our ability to train, our ability to operate in the gray area, right? The gray area is where we know and we that's where we earn our paycheck, right? That's where we earn our stripes and our ability to do that because we are well-trained. It is The training is part of our DNA. It, it's ingrained in our culture, right? Uh, that's why Mike is still doing these podcasts, right? Because he can't, he's, it'll never leave you, right? Um, it doesn't matter. And that is, and that is so important that I wanted to make sure that I put this article out for generations to read and understand that um, it always, it always comes back to training and education because the the bottom line is uh, it doesn't matter if you are a grocery store owner, you're the owner of Apple, you FedEx, it doesn't matter, or you're in the fire service. Training is the heart and soul of your organization. 
if the groceries are out on the shelves, you can't even check out of the supermarket if the if the clerk doesn't know how to ring up the groceries. So it is all about training and education. Without it, no organization could be successful. But in in our profession, there's too many organizations that don't recognize the vital importance of it. And maybe they don't train or they do other stuff. And, you know, there's stuff that clouds it or, or uh, gets in the way of their vision to knowing that you have to train because it's you could cut the training budget and get away with it for maybe a year, maybe two years. But eventually you're going to pay that back with dividends and it's in civilian injuries and deaths and it's with firefighter injuries and deaths. And it's always who holds the bag. It's typically the firefighters and the company offices. Right. When we don't have good procedures or we don't enforce good training. It, it really is um, the, the foundational for leadership. It is the foundational um, cornerstone for your, for, your, for your building. And if you don't have that, you have cracks in that foundation. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what else you do. You could have a great community relations. You could have great all these other things. It doesn't matter. But training is what matters. And if without it, you're, you're heartless and you're not really going to go anywhere. And, you know, if you don't want to train, just go in, go into another profession, right? Or, or if you're a volunteer, don't be a volunteer firefighter. Go join the Knights of Columbus. They need people too, right? Um, they're a great organization. There's a lot of good civic organizations that you could do stuff if you're not willing to do the dedication to training because, uh, you know, it's, it's not about a paycheck. Professionalism is not defined by a paycheck. Whether you're a volunteer career, fire burns the same, fire injures the same, fire kills the same, and you must be ready. And again, it doesn't matter what we're talking about, what profession, uh, you got to be, you got to be ready and into the game. So I know I didn't, even, I didn't even answer your question. Oh, like, what? No, you, look, bro, you don't have to worry about it. You are in a friendly space. I want you to, I want you to riff. I want you to speak from your heart. And if we answer the questions, that's awesome. And if we don't, if we get what we just got, we're good. <laughs> We're good. Excellent. And very honestly, it kind of leads us into the next question that we have to kind of lead the discussion. And that's all we want to do. You have some great lessons learned while serving as a volunteer firefighter. Our friend Tommy Merrill, who speaks eloquently about the professional volunteer fire service. Talk about the concept of professionalism. You talked about the training, but talk about the concept of professionalism beyond the paycheck. Yeah. So that's a great that's a great question. And um and he does a great job. Tom does a great job of advocating and making sure that we understand that, hey, we're professionals, right? Because I, I can't stand when you hear somebody say, um, you know, are you a professional or a volunteer? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Both are volunteers. It's are you career or are you volunteer? So take the paycheck out of the equation. I know plenty of great firefighters that are in my volunteer department that would do just as good or better than some of the firefighters. So it's maintaining that professional uh, demeanor, that winning mindset, that understanding that um, that we have to, it's, it's always trying to be a better version of yourself, right? Tomorrow, you're a better version of the person you were yesterday. I mean, think about the version that each of us was 20, 30 years ago when we first started in the fire service, right? We're, we're different people. Hopefully we're better people, certainly more well-rounded, better trained, um, our, our, our worldviews, both within our departments and outside, have probably evolved um, in a positive way. Um, and I think that's, um, you know, I think that's all that's all part of it. And seeing that leadership in 
my department, in my volunteer department, I joined, I was around my volunteer department when I was seven years old, when my brother joined. I had no shot but to be a firefighter. Um, <laughs> so I did. It's funny because right around that time, uh, they were ripping up my street. They were putting sewers in. So there was a time I wanted to be a digger man. I was the only one that was excited that they were ripping up my street. No one else was happy because we had to park the car two blocks away. But I loved watching them move the dirt, rip up the concrete, right? It was fantastic. And then the one day I'm outside watching and I have my little Tonka trucks out there. And the driver of the truck asked me if I want to go sit in the truck. And I'm like, wow. And I think about every single day in the fire service when people walk into our firehouses, the privilege that we have that they want to come in. And I think about the feeling that I had in that truck where I wanted to do that. And then when I was brought to the firehouse and my first ride on the fire truck, and I think, I tell people in the FDNY, those four letters mean so much more than just the FDNY, right? It, it's it's being a leader in innovation, a leader in tools, a leader in teaching, whatever it is, right? It means so much more. Be worthy. And I tell the people in my in East Farmingdale Volunteer Fire Department that EFFD on the back of your coat means so much more. Be worthy. When you're out and about in the community and you're wearing a T-shirt, they see it's you. You have 17 stickers and a license plate that says you're a firefighter on your car and you're doing something that's stupid. Be worthy because you're you're you are a reflection of us, whether you're a career or whether you're a volunteer firefighter, especially when when if you're like me, like I'm always wearing a fire department shirt or a hat. You know, my license plates are firefighter license plates. I do have stickers. So I'm all I'm all in, brothers, right? Just like just like you. But that comes with a great responsibility to our profession and to those that were here long before us and to make sure that we leave this profession in better shape than we found it and that we're teaching that next generation of how we get there. And I think that is where it is. And in, in, in the volunteer service, when we increase standards, I remember a couple of our chiefs when I was a new firefighter and I was watching, I, I tell people, it doesn't matter what department you're in, there's people that are always watching you. When you're in a leadership position, people are listening to what you say, but then they're validating it by your actions. And if your actions don't match what you're saying, that's like watching that's like watching a, a Chinese movie that has, you know, the subtitles and nothing matches and it's hard to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and that's what it is, right? Someone's talking, but they're not making any sense because their actions don't match that. So you got to be genuine, sincere, loyal. I mean, you have to be competent, right? I mean, you shouldn't get to, and you mentioned it in the intro, you shouldn't get to a position where I am or where you gentlemen were in your organizations, right? You don't get there if you're not competent, right? You have to know what you're doing. So competency, I said, okay, well, we, we have to have that because I've worked with plenty of people where I'm like, they're incredibly competent, but they're an idiot because they don't know how to deal with anybody, right? So think about those people and- if, if I'm trapped in a fire or a collapse, they're the people I want coming for me. But working with them on a daily level, whoa, that's tough, right? And no one wants to follow them. And you just, and you think about it, you say, that guy is the complete package or that girl's the complete package. If they only knew how to deal with people or had those bedside manners, and that, that's what people, that's what people lack. And honestly, you know, um, that's really what this book is about. This book is about those soft skill leadership things, how to treat people, right? The golden rule, right? Treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, and, and 
it deals with a lot of those topics and a lot of the um, several of the uh, topics that are more difficult to talk about because I've experienced it and I've seen it in my career and I can equate it to different experiences because man, I've had an amazing run. 31 years, I've worked in some of the best firehouses with some of the greatest people um, that are on the planet, not just in the FDNY, but that are on the planet. And the same thing with my volunteer department, the people I've been exposed to, the lessons and, and, uh, and how much I've learned from them. Um, and it's to have all these different stories that, and from the experiences I had. Um, and that was really where uh, the book idea, um, I guess, was born because um, I did the keynote. I did the keynote for Firehouse Expo last year, and that was when I was asked to do that. Uh, after I did that, the reception that it got was so overwhelmingly positive. With people telling me, "You got to write a book," um, and that was kind of where it grew out of from from that from that. And then uh, and then here we are, and it just it evolved a little bit where it was more, it was the cornerstones of leadership um, and not the cornerstones of training because it was, you can make a case that I miss, I mislabeled my keynote that I called it the cornerstones of, of training, but it was really the cornerstones of leadership and the other topics that I talked about. And that adjustment actually was made by, by my son who did an awful lot for the, for the book, but that's where it came from. And then just tying it into all these stories previous to the keynote, I had some people that would tell me, you got to write a book. I'll help you. You got to write a book. Um, you're familiar with the researcher, Sarah Jenke. Uh, she's probably one of the earliest ones who was on top of me about, hey, you got to write a book. You, your experiences are crazy. You got to write a book on it. And whether it's responding to Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Harvey, um, uh, you know, plane crash in the Rockaways, or just, there's just so many different experiences that tie into different leadership aspects that, um, it, then my, my good friend, Chris Stewart, who retired as a deputy chief out of Phoenix, um, he, he was ultimately the one to put me over the top as he was sending me, uh, different podcasts and links to books and saying, Hey, this is what your book would look like. Um, and he was comparing it to Admiral McRaven's books, make your bed and, um, um, uh, and, um, wisdom of the bullfrog. And that really was maybe I, I read those books and I'm like, yeah, I could, uh, I could do this because I was like, who's going to want to hear fire stories in a leadership book? And um, uh, but the leadership principles are time tested. They they they're not, you know, they're not new, um, but they are focused on a lot of the soft skills. Oh. Second alarm. Brooklyn. Brooklyn's in the game with a second alarm. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I'll tell you what this the the FDNY phone and all the apps and the stuff that I have on that are just remarkable. How much information? Like, uh, I'm as buffy as you can be, um, which is for me. It's being a professional, right? I got to make sure I'm monitoring what's going on. But it's really remarkable how much information is at my fingertips. I could go on. I could see who's there, who's working. I could get live video feeds from it. Uh, our command tactical unit will be there, so they'll put up a drone footage. So in the next 20 minutes, I'll have actual drone footage uh, streamed directly to my phone. I go on the Citizen app and see who's crowdsourcing, who's video and live from the scene. Listen to the live handy talkie transmission. It's really, um, it's it's incredible. It's a it's a buff like me. It's a dream come true yeah. to be able to be engaged yeah. uh, to that degree. Yeah, it's great. Well, cool, man. Well, um, in it, 
you know, it, it's interesting. You you said how blessed you were just to be reminded just the privilege of being able to be in a truck um, right right down towards the end there. It was probably about the last six months of before I retired. And we were out doing inspections, you know, and you've done inspections. It ain't like that's the most exciting deal in the world, right? We try to make it sexy. We made drills out of it. You know, we'd put the stick up and we'd practice pickoffs, but we were doing inspections and we're letting the recruit drive the rig, you know, just he's got to get his sets and reps on the rig and drive, and we're driving around. And I, I confess, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired, you know, and I'm like, oh, we're out doing inspections and we got to do this and then I'd rather be doing something cool. And the recruit looked over at me and he just had this just awesome look on his face. And he said, sir, can you believe I get to drive a Seattle fire truck? And it was just this, you know, he, this sense, this privilege, this unbelievable awe. And it was a real, um, it was a convicting moment for the old truck captain who was just, you know, yeah, here we are, Groundhog Day, you know, damn, we got, you know, 20 buildings to get to and whatever else. And I'm like, you know, I gotta, I gotta tighten up today. I gotta get my mind in the game and realize every single day this is a privilege, you know. And it, on that day, it was the recruit that convicted the old guy, you know, to get focused, right? To serve, to serve in a fire service is an absolute privilege. Yeah. To have the opportunity to save a life is a privilege. Yeah. And you know, um, a lot of times when I teach, I'll ask everybody, raise your hand if you've rescued somebody ever in a fire and typically it's it's less than 10 percent yeah right or right around 10 percent and then i say raise your hand if you've trained on that and everybody raises their hand right it's being prepared mentally physically and knowing that when you're called upon that you're going to be ready to do the job and that's what it's about right is that that's what they're expecting that's they rightfully so that's what those that were sworn to protect and serve are, are expecting right. and I, I talk about it in in New York City, I can take we're interchangeable parts. I can take a firefighter and, and put him anywhere in the city and they'll be able to operate because we operate on the same right. off of the same procedures. Is is we don't have that deviation. Um, so you just have to be lucky enough and privileged enough to be in that spot to be but you gotta be ready to perform when you're called upon. Because anybody can be called upon, but we all are equally trained and prepared. Um, and that has to be our mindset. That winning mindset, because in the FDNY, we play to win on every run of every tour, every single time out the door. Losing is not an option. Mike, has losing ever been an option for you? Nope. Nope. Mike, and very honestly, Chief, you talk about it all the time. I've asked the same question you did. How many of you have made a rescue? And you get the smattering of hands. How many of you have been trading to make a rescue? And everybody goes, the hand goes up. And then I go back to the guys who raised their hand the first time. How many of you would be able to have made that rescue without proper training? It all goes back Every all all roads lead to training. All roads lead to training. Mike in Seattle, yeah. it was all about winning, right? Oh yeah, you know, and and the, carrying that carrying that idea that I, I remember John Norman said it was a really convicting moment. He said, "You have." We were sitting in class. He said, "You have from this moment right now until the next alarm to prepare yourself to be ready." to meet the demands of that alarm on behalf of the citizens. And it was just like this. I mean, you know, just a, it, I've heard that type of comment a thousand times in my career. The way he said it, the, the, the context we were in, it was just this convicting moment of there's no do-overs. When the bell hits, training's over, baby. It's done. You know, you yeah. got what you got. The minute the tones drop, you got what you got. And you're either prepared for what the citizens need 
or you end up being a liability. And if you're a liability, you know it, right? So a firefighter knows when they didn't do their job. Yeah. And, you know, I look at like it's baseball playoff time right now, right? And watching the games the last couple of nights, there were just a couple of game sevens. And like they know when game day is, right? They're able to prepare. Yeah. But you see the winning mindset in, in the teams that are left, right? That they play to win. Starting pitches are coming in in relief. They're pitching more innings than they would normally do on their day that they normally throw in the bullpen because that's what it's about, right? If you want to take it to the next level, it's about making sure be the best that you can possibly be at your profession, whatever that profession is. We're firefighters, so that means we should be training consistently and constantly because it has life and death consequences. Um, And we just have to make sure that those that are advocating for us for funding and for staffing and all that, that they that they understand that because it 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 literally is the difference sometimes between life and death. And training enables moments, the moments that never happen matter the most, right? If I'm able to make it where a firefighter doesn't get cancer or doesn't get injured, right? I'll use so a couple of years ago we had an air condition fall on the head of a firefighter. He had his helmet on, it was on properly. If he didn't the helmet was destroyed. He would have been dead. If he didn't have his helmet on, he would have been dead. Right. Right. So like you think of those, those, just those little things that make us hard to, hard to injure and impossible to kill. And it's, it's training, it's preparation, it's wearing your equipment. Right. And, you know, I, I remember an early fire that I had. Um, it's February of 1993 with my captain, Gene McGowan. Now, this guy gave me the two pieces of advice, the biggest piece of advice I've ever gotten in my career. Learn something from everyone you meet. Sometimes you'll learn what not to do. Yeah. And then he told me to read something fire-related every day, every tour. I have done that with the exception of a couple of months after September 11th. I have done that religiously. I continue to do that. And nowadays, it's easy. There's so many great podcasts. There's so many great instructors. There's so many great articles and books. There's so much. You go on YouTube and just type in, uncoordinated ventilation or go on, you know, UL. there's so many different ways that you could be dedicated to the profession. And um, Corley Moore, his book, The Nine L's, uh, he mentions in that, that if you read something related to your profession for an hour a day, in two years, you'll be one of the top people in your profession. And I'm like, I've been doing that for 31 years. Um, look where you are. (laughs) It has served me well, um, both on the fire ground, right? Because as a young firefighter, I wanted to be tactically brilliant. I wanted to be as good as I could be tactically. Um, I remember when I was in um, uh, SOC, when I was in Squad 270, um, I I I wasn't happy enough with the bulletins that we had. I would take out the owner's manual, and I would know every single thing about that tool. I knew its limitations. I knew how it would work. I knew how to do the maintenance on it. I knew every single thing I could learn about about uh, the equipment. And that's what the firefighters I worked with did as well. Um, and that's that, edi- that's that additional dedication to your profession to make sure that you are at the top of your game. You know, um, Derek Jeter, right, uh, one, of the, one of the best uh, ball players of all time, he would go out and take ground balls for an hour every day. Yeah. Tiger Woods would, would putt the three-foot putt for an hour a day, right? Um, did he need to do it? You might say, nah, you don't need to do that. But that's how he maintains his proficiency, his professionalism. And that's how you stay at the top of your game by making sure that you are constantly engaged because there's going to be times 
mention that fire, uh, uh, February 1993, Kings Highway and Avenue D in Brooklyn. Fires out a whole bunch of windows on two floors. Where to, um, where I'm in an engine company. We're assigned to stretch the line. We stretch the line. We go up there. It's it's um, We open the hallway door. It's lights out. Um, so we have to charge the line in the stairwell. We open up the door, and we're inching down the, down the, um, down the hallway. Gene McGowan is the officer with me, Captain Gene McGowan. And um, I'm immediately, I'm getting burned up. Immediately. And I can't be any lower than I am. I'm not sure where the heat's coming from. It feels like it's radiating off the walls or behind me. I have no idea. I hear I hear the radio transmissions of the truck comp- companies giving 1045s, meaning they have a victim. I hear them forcing the doors. Like, and then I'm on fire. So, I, so it, what happened was I didn't have my, we didn't have hoods yet, but I didn't have my head, my, uh, my ear flaps down. Why? Because I had a firefighter that told me, bro, when you go to a fire, you don't want to use your ear flaps because you want to feel the heat so you know when it's time to go. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I didn't know that that was bum advice. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I'm like, all right. So I'm like, all right. So I listen. Ear flaps are up. And now I'm burning. I know I'm burning. So here I am. I got a solid three months on the job. I'm, hey, Cap. Cap with 30 years. Hey, Cap, it's a little hot in here. I think we should get out of here. He's going to tell me to pound sand. Right, get lowered, figure it out. Right, um, so I took my beating. We went down. I'm going like this. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm trying to cover my ears. I'm trying to do anything I can, um, and nothing's working. We get down. We extinguish the fire. We come out. Um, on the way down, a, a salty dog from Rescue Two. He says, uh, "Hey man, what'd you think of that?" I'm like, "I got my deer in the headlights. Look, the Kool Aid. You know, the Kool Aid smile." And I'm like, "That was great." And he goes. Well, that was a 10-year fire. You go 10 years and you may never see a fire like that again. And I'm like, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we get we get downstairs and, and the captain explains, you know, we, we go over everything about the fire, go back to the firehouse. He winds up, he had burnt himself too. He winds up taking medical leave. Um, I didn't, but I learned an incredibly valuable lesson. I had people work for me for a couple of weeks, so I got a couple of weeks off because my ears were blistered. Um I was the weak link on the fire ground and I would never, ever, I would never ever let myself be the weak link on the fire ground again. Yeah. And now you will never, you will never see me on the scene of a fire ground without all of my equipment on with my waist, with my waist buckles fastened. I will have a flashlight. If the, if, if there's a thermal imaging camera, I will have that. I will have a handy talkie. I will have my hood on. I will have my flaps that I use whatever you're giving me to make me hard to injure and impossible to kill. I am using right. um, because I don't want to be the weak link. And sometimes we confuse, we confuse aggressive firefighting yeah. with not being safe. Yeah. And that's nonsense. Right. A, a safe firefighter is an aggressive firefighter when it's applied the right way. Yep. Right. So, and I'm not saying, as a be a safe firefighter, never go in. No, no, no. Get in and get after it. But make sure all these things we just spoke about, right? Because if I get caught up because I don't have my my waist buckle fastened, and now I get caught up on a bicycle, we don't have an aggressive interior attack anymore. We have an aggressive rescue attempt. Yeah, we do. We don't even care about the fire anymore. So that nonsense of, you know, we are aggressive and we don't worry about some of those things. Flashlight should be charged. Handy talkie. Your wattage drops if your handy talkie is not fully charged. Right. Make sure you turn it off at night. Just little things like that. You you know, you go out 
Friday night, you go out all night, you, you stumble into the firehouse at four o'clock in the morning, you relieve somebody, and now eight o'clock, you're going out the door, and now you're not ready. You're not, you're not 100%. And now you get away with that 99% of the time, but this time you don't. Yeah. yeah. It's just that there's little things that we can do um, to just be aggressive, be aggressive, but be smart about it because no one goes to work with the idea of I'm going to get injured or killed today. Right. There's all is an expectation that we should want to come home at the end of our tour. Um, and that's the way it should be. Right. I mean, everybody's got someone that, um, you know, that wants you to come home. I used to say, do it for your spouse. And I get people, I don't want to do anything. Well, forget it. Do it for your dog. <laughs> somebody at home loves you, you miserable bastard. <laughs> be your goldfish. But somebody wants you to come home. And your goldfish needs to be fed. Yeah. <laughs> but somebody wants you at home, right? And that goes even what you you talk about it a lot, a lot, um, right? When you talk about that's mama's air, right, or, or something along, right? Yeah. Okay. And remember that, right? That when the viral goes off, right? That's it's time to get out. That is the air for you. That's your family's air. That's what ensures that you're coming home. And um, and I love that you talk about that because you put it in a way that people, you know, you can relate to. It. You say, yeah, you know what they. They do need me because your training protects not only you, but it protects those you love, right? Obviously, it obviously protects the people that we're sworn to protect and serve. But if if you break your leg or you don't get a paycheck, right? A volunteer that doesn't get a paycheck because you got hurt or you're injured or killed, like who's providing for your loved ones? Right. Right. I mean, you then you you become negligent in in that in that aspect as well. So you just gotta remember that it's the whole package. On, on what training impacts and it really does impact every single thing every single person that is in our lives yeah man well you know well said so many things we could plumb there I, I feel like you know like you I'm doing a lot of these round tables now because everybody wants to do round tables after you do your actual classes and and uh every you know the the term right now is we, we spent so long you know kind of being so so safe we were unsafe Nobody wanted to do anything or, you know, you couldn't do anything. Now we're penduling them in this way to where it's if you don't have aggressive in your class title, you know, nobody wants to come to the class. And I feel like I'm saying more and more and more to these folks that are aggressive, 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 aggressive. It's like, hey, it's baked in the cake for a firefighter. There's no other way. There's no other way to do what we do without getting in there, getting dirty, getting stinky. That's just the way it is. Be aggressive. Just don't let it make a damn fool out of you. You know, this, this is, we're not kamikaze pilots, right? We're not, we're not one way kamikaze pilots. We're warriors going in to do something that very few people can do. And if we don't do it in the right way, people do not survive. We're not kamikaze pilots. Yeah. And I would say, and that's a great analogy, right? It's baked into the cake. Firefighters are aggressive. I've never had to say, Hey guys, can you get in there? Right. But, but I always, you know, often, Hey, we're going to switch to an exterior attack. Right. The, 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 you know, then I get the, I get one more minute, one more minute, yeah. one more minute. We got we this. We got a room. You're breaking yeah. up. One You're breaking room. up. <laughs> yeah. um, and next thing you know, I'm like, I'm not a math wizard, but if I added up all those one more minutes, that's like 18 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, um, and I get that. Right. I want that. Right. Yeah. Um, firefighters are eternal optimists, which thank goodness we need them to be, but um, in the next issue of WMYF, I wrote an article about the um, the hierarchy of of optimism, right? So at the top, right, I'm the most as a chief of safety or chief of department, I'm the most pessimistic person on a fire ground, right? That's the risk tolerance pyramid. I have less tolerance for risk because I'm the safety net. I'm what ensures uh, I'm ensure that um, 
hang on. Go ahead. I'm, in, I'm the ensures that you go home to your family. If, if I act just as aggressively as you do, well, I'm not helping anybody, right? That's my job to make sure that I'm doing that. And my firefighters, no, go be aggressive. I want you to say one more minute. I want you to be doing that because that's what, that's in our DNA. It's baked into us. So um, I don't work with firefighters that aren't aggressive, right? I mean, I hear they're out there, but I, I don't, I don't work with them because they all, they all go in, even, even a slug goes in, right? I mean, they're going, they're going in with the, with the other brothers and sisters as part of the team. Cause the, the FDNY procedure, particularly the FDNY procedures are built on the team concept with individuals ex- expected to execute those assignments as part of the team. So one plus one, right. Doesn't equal two there. It's false multipliers on the scene where one plus one equals eight and we get the job done by everybody executing their assignment. And when one person or two people or three people, it starts to get that snowballing effect. That's when we see the severe negative consequences. And and hopefully we're able to stop that before it becomes a serious injury or a line of duty death. You know, let's, uh, so let's, let's kick to, uh, you know, again, you started down the road of writing a book and you shared from your experiences throughout the chapters of the book. Um, you talk a lot about mentoring. You refer to people who have invested in you, those types of things. Uh, tell us about tell us about the importance of mentoring, a few of your mentors, and maybe a couple of the you know quick lessons that you learned that you feel like would be impactful for everybody. Yeah. So while I'm well, while I'm talking about this, you two think about who were your biggest mentor, and if you know it, who was their biggest mentor? Right. Right. So. If we could put this on ancestry, right, and say, okay, here's the family, here's my family tree of training. Um, my mentors, so obviously Gene McGowan, Tom Richardson, Jerry Tracy, so many other people, right? Yeah. And, you know, Mike Dugan, I've read his articles. So I have a training lineage to him. Alan Brunicini, I have a training lineage to him. Bobby Holton, I have a training lineage to him, right? And then um, who... Who are all your children, right? I mean, I know, I know. Mike Dugan had a line of people that wanted to go in his company, yeah, he, uh, because it had a strong. They went to fires, but they had a strong training lineage. A lot of people got promoted out of there. A lot of exceptional people came out of the companies that he worked in. So you think about who are all those children that you have out there. You have probably each of you probably have thousands of them because you're still teaching, and then. Who are the branches off of them? And you think about all of these different things, the offshoot. So maybe the person who's not in your department or I only I read an article from that person. So that's like a that's a distant cousin. But they're all part of that family tree. And then I look. So and I recently asked Tom Richardson, I said, who was well, recently when I was when I was getting when I was writing a chapter that was going to include him and he didn't know it at the time. And honestly, I didn't know which direction this was going to take. But I asked him who I said, who was, um, uh, who was your mentor and what was the parameters that you used to form squad 270? He was the first captain of 270. And he said that he wanted people with heart. He could teach them how to do anything. And I said, well, who taught you that? And who was your mentor? And he said, John Vigiano, everybody in the FDNY, and in many, and, and, and probably most of the fire service knows who John Vigiano is. Right. 
right? So now I want to know who John Vigiano's mentor was. And that's why I asked you, so who was your mentor? And do you know who their mentors were? And then, like, we could trace this all the way back, right? If we had ancestry, we could trace this all the way back to, to who knows? Maybe, you know, some legendary people at, at the beginning of our job. Because I can tell you that when the training lineage stops is because there's a slug, right? A slug that keeps all the information to themselves. So, well, the firefighter that goes to a training conference and doesn't share the information when they get back, right? They just keep it all, right? So we try and keep the training lineage alive in several ways. Um, we update our procedures and put some of the why from the people before they leave. Man, that's a great little nugget, Mike Dugan. Let's put that in Lattice 3. Let's put that in our private dwelling bulletin so we can keep that going. But when we look and see who we've impacted and and the, the roots of our roots are grounded um, generations ago. So when we say we stand on the shoulders of giants, um, we can demonstrate that in a lineage, in a training lineage. And I just think it's fascinating because you'll in the FDNY, you could train it. You'll probably be able to trace it right back to different medals that people are named after and stuff like that. So. Either one of you, who's your who's your mentor? And do you know who their mentor is? I'm sure it's a great person. Right. Well, mine too, I know. Uh, my first captain, Danny Marshall. And I know his mentor was John O'Rourke, who was chief of department. And my other mentor is Vinnie Dunn. And I'm not sure who his mentor is, but I know who some of them are, I think. And uh, But Chief Dunn uh, helped me get my first article published. Mm. So you think about that, right? And Chief Dunn, I mean, my goodness, how many children does he have in the fire service? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh. And is still creating. Yeah. Every still single creating. member of the yeah. FDNY, yeah. every <laughs> single member of the FDNY is a descendant of Vinnie Dunn yeah. just because of collapse of burning buildings. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Every single one of them has read that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about that, that impact that you can have, um, and it's a real tangible way because Again, no one's ever going to say somebody that you're like, oh boy, he was your mentor. That guy was in. That guy didn't know what he was doing. Right. Well, that guy treated everybody poorly. You'd you'd show up at work and you'd see his car was there and you'd be like, oh, it's going to be a miserable day. Right. Right. Those people. Those people end that branch of the tree dies with them. Right. And if you have too many of those people, for however that happens, that's when your culture of your job, your DNA, that's when that changes because we pass our DNA, our training lineage on from generation to generation in the FDNY. And that's because someone a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, established a strong training lineage, a culture in the FDNY. And in, in my, in my volunteer department, I see that same lineage with people. And I think when you look at it that way, if we were able to build it out, it would be it would be a phenomenal uh, tree that would go back to the to the founders of of our of our departments, and and even beyond, right? I mean, it'd go back to the Ben Franklin Ben Franklin days, right? Right. Yep. You find out that on your training tree, you're a descendant of Ben Franklin. You just we just can't figure that all out, but we could be, right? Right. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's so many. There's still things I'm researching. I found out something in. Um, a book by Gary Bonowitz about the FDLY, and there was a volunteer engine in the 1860s to 1880s known as the Dugan engine. And I'm like, what? 
<laughs> and I was like, I took pictures of this and everything else. And I said, holy crap, my whole career has been built on a falsehood. I should have been an engine man. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. You're like, what? You sure it wasn't a truck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, it's historical. Uh, that's great. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's it, right? You're just always learning. Um, always have, I say, stay learnable. That means having a beginner's mindset, understanding that there's there's so much to learn um, in our field and other fields, whatever it is, right? But if you're closed-minded, then you know you're you're just not going to be able to uh, to learn. So that beginner's mindset, staying learnable, uh, certainly principles that that I uh, that I still use today. I love when I when I learn something uh, when I learn something new. Yeah, yeah, no, it's unbelievable, and. We'll continue on with our questions because it kind of so ties in. Uh, Chief Dunn, Vinny Dunn shared with us that you've now been published in WNYF, as we mentioned, more than anyone else in history. Um, what significance, what is the significance of writing the articles and sharing your knowledge? But more importantly to me, this one, what are the books you feel are essential to reading? I have a reading list I share with students of my 15 top books for leadership and what I think you should learn. And then I also use the Marine Corps leading, lead, reading list, which I think every department should put together, which goes by rank, what you should read by rank, which I think is phenomenal. And I tell people this, but I think that those are such important characteristics. I always say readers are leaders and you know, read a book, and read something every day about the fire service. And then also, I'm on vacation. I got a fun read that I'm reading now for my vacation, but read and spend some time increasing your knowledge. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and fire service books and non-fire service books. I mean, um, uh, I did certainly did a ton of reading when I went to the Naval Postgraduate School. Uh, the first assignment was uh, 19 books showed up my door and said, you know, it was June, and they said, have these read and have a two-page report for each of them by September. And I'm like, well, there goes my summer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but out of those books, out of those original books that I had to read, uh, still one of my favorites was Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah. And it teaches you how you think. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's really good, a really good book. I think Think Again by Adam Grant is a great book. Yep. Um, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walken is a great book. I think um, Cornerstones of Leadership is not too bad. <laughs> I'll hold it up. I'll hold yeah. it up longer. I know that's shameless, yeah, but um, I, I still love uh, Collapse of Burning Buildings by 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 Dunn. Obviously, is a is a great book. Um, Why Buildings Fall Down uh, is a really good book. Uh, is also one Why Buildings Stand Up. Uh, I own both of those. They're both good. Uh, I also love um, Young Men of Fire. About the Man Gulch fire. That's another Man Gulch fire. Yeah, that's another one that I I really enjoyed. Um, uh, boy, uh, all three of the Pass It On books I think are great. And uh, I mentioned the book I mentioned earlier, Coley Moore's The Nine L's. I think is a great book um, as well. So, and I, you know, they, they, you know what? There's so there's so many. Um, you know, your marriage book. I read I read that and passed it on to a couple of firefighters. The firefighter marriage. I mean, it's just. This so you know it, it's I hate to to because I know I'm I'm li I'm leaving books out you know yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, as I'm glancing over to my bookshelf I'm like what are the books are, you know um, because so many of them um, I go out 
you know, so a lot of times I'll just, if there's a, if there's a, if they're on a podcast or they're, um, uh, for fire service books or, um, you know, I'll buy, if I, if there's a soft cover, I buy that. If I want to keep it, I always buy the hard cover. So right now I, my fire service books ideally are all hard cover because I, they're reference books to me. Right. You know, so, which is part of the reason why Cornerstones of Leadership is right now only a, a hard cover and, you know, tried to make it affordable for, um, as many firefighters, uh, as possible. But again, it's really, it's those, those soft skills that we're, you know, be brilliant at the basics, be, know what you're doing, but then, um, know how to deliver it and don't be the person in any profession that say, man, Mike's really good, but boy, he doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how to tell us. He doesn't know how to talk to us. Right. right? And then Frank doesn't know how to do that because then you just, no one's going to follow you. And as good as you can be tactically, it's just a shame because too many people's careers um, are defined by that instead of in, instead of being the, the great inclusive, uh, all-encompassing leader that they could be because they they're missing that one point. Uh, and if you train on it to be better, like we do with those hard skills, um, you can be that leader that people want to want to follow and and. And listen to, and, and that's kind of that's kind of uh, the main the main and, goal here. And I got to say, there are a couple of books that I honestly believe in uh, that are not fire service books, but are self help books. And I know firefighters hate this year the self help word, but um, <laughs> crucial conversations, seven habits of highly effective people. Uh, there are all kinds of books along that line. I mean, crucial conversations I still use all the time, you know, because when someone gets angry, it's why are they angry? What did I say to make them angry? And you can see, did I upset them? Did I hurt them? Did I say something? And you can kind of back away and say, okay, let me reframe this. Let me change this. Let me help you understand where I'm coming from. And getting that gap between communication, between saying something and then wanting to reply and taking the time to process it and think, because it used to be if I got into a, a fight with my wife, I wanted to beat her in that fight. I wanted to be right. And I wasn't always right. And it's a huge, huge thing for me to admit that, that I wasn't always right. But understanding those things and things that can help you in your life with the marriage, communication, with anything else, being a better person are also books that should be on your reading list. Yeah, totally agree. Totally, totally agree. And then, um, and the other thing that I did with this book was each chapter concludes with five takeaways. Um, and then, so there's 125 takeaways. And then in the last, in the last page of the book, we added two additional takeaways. So there's 127 takeaways. Those are, those two are dedicated to Mark Ferran and Jim Yearsley as they go into retirement. Um, and two takeaways that uh, epitomize those two gentlemen. They epitomize a lot of people in the FDNY. But we, so there's 127 takeaways, five in each chapter. They're, they're all listed at the end. And I've, I've had people tell me that every tour I come in, I email one of those takeaways to my crew. And Excellent. I'm like, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, and that was kind of why it's laid out that way. Cause I look at the different books that, how I like books, right? And, I love when I can have the takeaway or highlight. I highlight a lot of stuff in my books and take notes. So that's the, you know, um, the studier in me makes me, you know, I can't help that. But uh, but that's helpful when I want to refer back or I'm writing something or an article or someone asks me a question. 
And I could quickly refer to my library and say, okay, well, this is, yeah, this is where it is. Here's the page and, and quickly find it. And it's a refresher for me as well, right? So um, it's really good. But, you know, the question started with the uh, with the articles I write, write for WMIF. And again, I think that ability to, when a guy like Vinny Dunn, who I've been a student of him for decades, when he's mentioning me and what I'm doing and, and writing, um, that's, that's, a good, that's a good day. That's a that, good day. <laughs> yeah. I pinch myself. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. I've been reading this guy's stuff for, for my entire, I don't even, I don't even remember when I started. I was so young. Like it was just, he's always been a part of, of, of what we do. Right. And why did we fire service? Yeah, that's right. And why did he start writing? He started writing because of the 23rd street fire, right. Where we lost 12 people. And we just had that anniversary. I attended that. And you know what I learned? That there's, there's a descendant of, of one of the lieutenants that was killed at that fire that's on our job as a firefighter. I had no idea that that was his grandfather. And he has two other relatives that are on the police department because they were all there. I couldn't believe it. But you think about right, the, the, the lineage of, of just, just how that, how Vinnie Dunn started and now how one of the guys that was killed there, his descendants are on the job and remembering it. And it just um, we would not have had collapse of burning buildings uh, if Vinnie Dunn wasn't at that fire. And just very honestly, I mean, I go back, um, my buddy Michael Clark, who is now the chief of the uh, Bath Ironworks Fire Department up in Maine, his father, Walter, uh, was the chauffeur of Ladder 7 that night. And uh, my friend that I worked with, Tommy Donovan, in 53 Engine, his brother was the survivor from um, uh, Five Engine, I think. But he was out writing summonses back then because they had an extra guy and he was sent out to write the summonses. And he, wow. did, he survived and he was the only one who survived from his company. And it was just like, it was just amazing, amazing stories. And again, the lineage, the footprint, how it all comes together. Yeah, it's really remarkable. Um, it really, uh, yeah, it really is remarkable how, and I was blown away when I saw the family there and I knew about, uh, you know, I knew about Dunn and that was the reason that he started writing. But it's all, the interconnectivity of our profession is simply remarkable. Well, let's, uh, are you ready to like audible a little bit? You ready to shift you want. and move? Yeah. All right. I'm in, man. I'm in. Let's go. Let's do All it. right. So we're going to see how, uh, we're going to see how adaptive you are here. Um, let's talk about that incredible story to most profound time in your career when you dressed up like hot dog, the mascot. Yes. <laughs> yes. So yeah. you write, you write, yeah. you write about it in your book. Um, so here's here's a question. We'll let you just rock and roll here. Um, you write about an interesting time when you dressed up like a hot dog, the mascot. What's some lessons you can take away from your experience uh, channeling your inner hot dog? <laughs> yeah, so my, <laughs> yeah, my inner hot dog. So um, I get promoted to deputy chief and they said, you're going to be working for, with training and working in the field. The night before I get um, uh, promoted, they say, oh, there's a change of plan. You're going to go oversee fire safety education. I'm like, oh, that's like a bait and switch. I said, all yeah. right. So I go and do that. And they let me, they still let me work with training and work in the field. So I'm doing a whole bunch of jobs at once. Um, and I need to learn everything they're doing about everything that happens. And he told me that, 
they have that the hot dog. Uh, um, only one guy likes to do hot dog um, because the costume is is bulky. It's it's difficult. We don't know how to clean it. I'm like, all right. <laughs> um, I'm like, who the heck is hot dog? Yeah. Um, and it's so it's the uh, it's the fire department mascot. We have two of them: is hot dog and then is siren, the EMS uh, um, one. That's like a, a, a you know uh, one for EMS, like a, a smoke alarm. Um, that has a stethoscope anyway. So hot dog is the dog and, um, I'm learning about all the positions that, that this unit does. They have a lot of great people that work in this unit. They're dedicated to, uh, fire safety, education, educating the public to do a lot of work. And one of the jobs is they dress up as hot dog. So the Columbus day parade is coming up and I'm like, um, all right, I'm going to be hot dog for the Columbus day parade. So, um, I go early and they have a breakfast that I attend in class A uniform because I don't want anybody to know I'm hot dog. So I go to the breakfast um, and after the breakfast, I go into the van and I quick change out of it. And then I meet them at the beginning of the parade route, you know, and man, I loved it. I was bouncing up and down around, going from side to side, high-fiving the kids, taking pictures with kids. Uh, I had a firefighter assigned to me. He was like my handler to make sure I didn't trip. Or anything, and um, the parade was over. I had such a great time. I had people say, "I've never seen hot dog like that." <laughs> um, we passed St. Patrick's Cathedral, and the Cardinals out front. He, I'm getting a picture with the Cardinal. He gives me a blessing. So then I'm wondering, am I blessed or is hot dog blessed? <laughs> Everybody was telling me no, hot dog was blessed. Luckily, at the next parade, I got the Cardinal blessed me personally, so I had it covered. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> it was just. Afterwards, I'm sweating, and then we we figured out a way. We found a way to get it cleaned, and we streamlined the process, changed some things. But the um, people are like, why are you going to do that? I said, because why would I? I can't expect somebody to do something I wouldn't do myself, and I need to know the experience myself and do it. And um, and it turned out I had a great time, and it reinforces lessons just as that like like, you want buy-in from your team show them that you're a team player that you are actually part of the team and i got in there and i did it and i had a great time um the civilian leader of the unit after that we went on um fox and friends to do a a sprinkler demonstration uh for fire prevention and um the that guy fabricio caro he dressed as hot dog for that event and um nobody knew it just like no one knew I would, I dressed as hot dog afterwards. So the fire commissioner wound up finding out it was commissioner Nigro at the time. And in one of our staff meetings, or one of our meetings after that, he said, he, or he says to me, I heard that you were hot dog or I heard something, you know, hot dog had a special guest or something. So he knew it, but didn't blow the cover um, on me, but it was such a good time. And just, you saw how enthusiastic the people watching were and, if it's a position that we do, that's worth doing, do it to the best of your ability. Embrace it. I loved it. Know what your people do. Um, enthusiastic leadership is contagious. Um, when you show that you care for your team and you care for your people, they will do anything for you. And get out of their way. Don't micromanage them. Give them, this is what I want done. Go do it. And if they screw up, then maybe you got to give them a little bit more supervision. But I've never been disappointed when I tell my people, I want you to do this job. And they get it done. Yet, if I micromanage it, then the, the project won't be done to the. It won't be done as good. Right. Right. They 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 don't have any innovation with it. So this is what I want done. You figure out how to get it done. You know what you're doing, 
and people love that. People thrive with that. And if you don't, if you micromanage them, they'll never learn. And you are not training the future then. Yeah. And that's a critical point, right? We have to always be uh, cognizant of mentoring our next generation. Somebody out of the proby school is going to be a deputy chief on our job. There's always someone that's a deputy chief. Some of them will be staff. One of them may even be chief of department. So leadership and, and, and giving them that foundation. Leadership starts on day one. And all of that continues. People say, well, listen, I look at Timmy Keenan, one of my probies. Great example. Yep. 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 Yeah, he's a great example, right? He could go as far as he wants to go, but he's yep. always been into the job and he's had some great mentors. And now he's mentoring and giving back. He's working on several projects with me. And I just tell him, hey, Tim, put your team together and get this done. I just I give him the parameters on it. He's working on some of the stuff, uh, some of the uh, recommendations from the Timmy Klein fatal fire from last year. He's working on that and he's going to get it done. I just said, pay attention to this section of the fatal fire report. This is what I want. And I know he's going to achieve the goal because he always does. Yep. Right. And if I give him too much direction, I'll screw it up. It'll be on me. I'll screw it up. Not him. So he's a, he's a great example of that, but it's always making sure because you hear some departments, they say, well, if I train my people too good, they're going to leave. I said, if you don't, they're going to stay. Yeah. Right. And then you have, you know, so if people leave to go to bigger departments, that happens. I get that. But be proud of that and be proud of your training lineage and how you impact other departments. I think that should be a source of pride. But it should also be a source of pride that you are training your newest members with the goal that one of you will be leading this department at some point, that we have enough people in this department that we should not have to go exterior to our department because we've prepared our members from this department to lead our great department. Right. Amen. Amen. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about relationships are important to you. What do you mean by creating meaningful collisions? I love that term. So, yeah, I I love that term as well. And so that term, my son told me, he's like, what he's like, what you're doing is you're making meaningful collisions. And he, so it's like when you meet somebody, right. Um, that's doing great work in, in our profession or in another. And you say, wow, you, you two are doing the same thing. I can't believe you never met. And the next thing you meet, and now you're doing a radio show together or, or you're teaching together or you're whatever it is that you're doing or now. So for the researchers, right, I'll have people introduce me to a researcher. And the next thing you know, the FDNY is doing a research project with them. Um, and, and that's what, that's what that is all about is all of those different relationships that, that cross pollinization um, that happens. I'm friends with researchers, um, both for cancer, uh, for cardiac, uh, for you name it, as well as the researchers at UL. So it's getting involved and then you get those collisions. Being on the UL um, panel for the acquired attack, I mean, I have ex- I call them external teammates in, in the book. Th- those people that I could call up, whether it's Dennis Laguerre, whether it's Kurt Isaacson, whether it's Ray McCormick, who's in my department, right? Um, so he's not an external teammate. He'd be an internal teammate. But all these people that you could call, right? Um, so all, however you meet them. The, think about the people that you meet on this radio show, right? That, that you're exposed to. You, you have so many, all these collisions and all these relationships that you have that you could call up and find out information about something for a project you're trying to do, um, 
or a series of articles that you're trying to get and you want to have different parts of the country represented, all of these things, these are these meaningful collisions that happen. And one of the best at that is uh, the retired chief out of, um, out of Fort Worth, Texas, Homer Robinson. He's fantastic. Oh, yeah. He yeah. calls himself the bundler. That's yeah. what he calls himself. Yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. takes, he introduced me to four different other people. And the next thing you know, there's a guy out of Philadelphia who I didn't know. Um, this guy, Bud Henkels, who makes these uh, training props. And the next thing you know, I'm buying one of those for our training facility to do hands-on training with these little uh, small-scale models because of the bundler, Homer, in Fort Worth introducing me. And I have so many relationships that have started that way. Um, and that cross-pollinization, that builds our fabric in, in our fire service so much deeper because you're not relying on experiences just from your department. Um, early on in the pandemic, we had several relationships with the Seattle Fire Department. I still go on. I still go on an operations meeting with, um, with with several of the chiefs in Seattle and other chiefs that they bring on, and we may talk about just a fire. They may bring in a subject matter expert uh, or someone who was at a fire to talk about their experience, and then those experiences are transferable, right? So then I have that, and I've done that several times um, with them. And these, just these are things that happen because of other meaningful collisions that that come about. So those are important, but that's why you go to seminars. That's why you go to FDIC. That's why you go to Firehouse. That's why all these different things, right? And there's so many learning opportunities because afterwards, come up and introduce yourself to the speaker. And the next thing you know, you're 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 um, you're collaborating on something, or they clarify something, or just whatever it is. That's the secret source, and I think for for FDIC, right? That the instructors are usually there for a good part of the week. Yeah. So you're accessible all week. Like there's, all week. there's no reason if there's someone you want to speak to at a seminar, like there's, there's no reason you, you shouldn't. Right. Cause we're, we're all there. Right. right. And I think that's the, that's really one of the best parts about it. Sure. Sitting on the classes four hour class, 90 minute class, whatever it is, but also, um, you know, do the other stuff. I can't wait. I'm going to be, I'll be out at FDIC this year, the, the entire week. I got several things I'll be doing UL's doing a, a boot camp. I'm going to be instructing for that. There's a high-rise conference. I'm keynoting that. And I'm doing my own class on, on Wednesday. And, yes, that's a shameless plug, plug for my class on Wednesday. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, pl plug, hey, plug away. Plug away. Tell, yeah. tell them just a, just a little bit, the title of the class, the time, all that. What, what, what are you doing? Yeah, and I don't even remember the title of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know it's Wednesday afternoon. Um, so when it comes out, you can look up uh, – you could look up, frankly, I think it's uh, so I know I'm talking about the interrelationship of, uh, of fire dynamics and cancer in the fire service um, and how and how it's related. So I talk about um, like I think I would I'm pretty passionate about um, about firefighters and cancer. We, we lose way too many. I'm tired of losing my friends. And we there's simple things that we could do to be better. Uh, but. Um, a lot of younger firefighters in particular don't want to sit in on those classes. And I get it, right? As a young firefighter, I wanted to sit in on, you know, Mike Dugan talking about truck operations or or search operations or Ray McCormick talking about engines or whatever, right? I get it. Um, but we need to we need our young firefighters to be educated in, in this. So what I so what I did was I said, okay, I'm gonna talk about fire dynamics, fire tactics, and strategy, and I'll talk about cancer. So it's like trail mix, right? You're eating the trail mix. 
and it's mostly granola bar. It's mostly granola, right? And that's the that's talking about cancer. Uh, oh, a couple of M and M's, and that's when you start talking about tactics and strategy. So you kind of, um, you, you know, you get some short term energy and some long term energy from from trail mix, and that's kind of what this is is designed for: is to combine them both and explain why I'm talking about both because there is an interrelationship. The modern contents is why we have ventilation limited fires. It's why we're talking about higher heat release rates. And it's also why we're talking about higher cancer rates. And I talk about the best practices for, for all of those things and what we could do. So thanks for the opportunity to plug it. I can't believe I can't remember what the title is. I'm like, I'm like, I should look it up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but I know cause they just sent it out too. So, um, they just sent it out like in like yesterday, the day before. Um, but yeah, it's you know you can put it in the show notes. <laughs> that's what that's one of yeah. the that's one of the best moments of this whole thing. Doing a class, and uh, I'll let you know what the title is when I remember it. So that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. You know, the title's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me yeah. let me do a shameless plug um, for the FDIC April edition of Fire Engineering Magazine. Uh, the Firefighter Air Coalition that Michael and I are participants with is going to include, with every fire engineering magazine that comes out, the Air Coalition has sponsored a supplement, and it's called Firefighter Air, and it's going to feature four significant articles on the four pillars of the Firefighter Air Coalition. And so we are going to have from on the on the Firefighter air replenishment system side, Jerry Tracy and um, Jack Murphy are going to write an article on that. From the research and development side, and the, the article is going to be centered around the impacts of multiple bottles of breathing air on physio physiology and those types of things. Uh, that's going to be done by Gavin Horn, Richard Kessler, and Denise Smith. Uh, so we're, we're bringing heavyweights to the plate here. And then the firefighter cancer article, uh, We one of the pillars of the Air Coalition is smoke and cancer. And uh, none other than our, our beloved guest here, Chief Lee, is going to be writing the uh, the article on the, on updates and, and stuff that's going on with fire smoke and fire cancer. And then there's going to be an air management article being written by somebody nobody knows. So uh, that'll be me. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to be some heavyweights, and then you're just going to have to deal with me and that whole thing. But Brother, we're, we're actually excited to have you contribute to that. And you know what? Leadership is about accountability, too. Um, so here's a moment of accountability. Um, I'm looking for a rough draft. I know. I know. I saw the email. I saw the email. I know. And, and so people need accountability, right? You want to show your, show your people you love them yeah. by having a standard, by having a bar, and holding them accountable, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So you're holding me accountable. I just So yesterday I got the email. From uh, from Sarah, so uh, from Sarah Jones, telling me that my presentation will be Wednesday, April seventeenth, from one thirty to three fifteen, and my class is Challenges of the Modern Fire Environment. Nice. I don't know if that was my name or that's what they changed it to. I'm not sure, but I like that name um, nonetheless. That was better than the way I described it. So um, hope to see everybody uh, at there, and I will get you a draft of the article. Awesome, you made the mistake of telling me we actually have a couple of months. That you just yeah. need a draft. <laughs> well, you know, the, the bummer is uh, you, you gave me your time slot for FDIC. Uh, unfortunately, we're going head to head because uh, that's that's what I'm teaching. Uh, the go no go class is right after lunch on Wednesday. So we'll be going head to head, brother. 
That's it. This interview's <laughs> over. Yeah. This podcast's um, over. <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's finish off here. We're we're kind of up against it clockwise. Um, is, is there anything from the book that you feels really, really crucial or essential that we haven't talked about? Is there any? You know, is there like a concept or two that maybe we could have asked a question about? And then uh, Mike and I are very desirous with our guests that you would share your contact info because we would love for people to hire you. Um, you keep mentioning the term slug. Uh, we don't bring slugs on our radio show. We've been doing the show for a long, long time now. And I just went back and looked through the folders of all the guests that we've had over the last, whatever, 10 years. And man, it's it, we've had some just wonderful, wonderful guests. And you're continuing in that tradition. Folks, uh, we would love if you would give Frank a call and see if he can't come to your fire department and bless your troops. Um, so anything from the book we missed that you think is crucial? And then how do our folks get a hold of you for questions or to hire you to, to teach? I think you did a great job of, of um, uh, recapping some of the main themes in the book. I think it's, uh, like I said, it's about those soft skill leadership. It's not going to teach you how to stretch a hose line. It's not going to teach you how to force a door. Um there's plenty of books that teach you that, um, but this book is going to is going to teach you how to put it all together um, and to be able to operate and inspire your people to do even greater things. Uh, and it's just lessons that I've learned in my uh, 40 years in the volunteer service and my 31 years uh, today um, in the city and contact information. So this is uh, I don't you probably can't see it, uh, but that is my link tree. Oh, if you, if you scan on that. Um, that's actually in the book as well, and that's all all different information or important stuff that uh, that I think um, that viewers or listeners may want want, want to see. But also, um, uh, my email is um, first responder consultant at gmail. Uh, you could Google my name, even Google Frank Lieb Linktree. Uh, you could see that I'm on LinkedIn as well. Cornerstones of leadership on on Facebook. Uh, you know that's where I share if you. If you post a picture with you with the book or quoted a book and you make it a, a publicly available post, I share that on there as well. And uh, it's been pretty cool. I even I had somebody uh, post a picture from France. Uh, they, they had the book. They were reading it with their European helmet on in the in their, in their <laughs> towel ladder. And I said, it just doesn't get better than uh, than that. The book has been sold in eight Amazon markets, um, which is pretty cool. Wow. Italy, Japan. Um, I mean, the United Kingdom, there's like all the different markets that it's been pretty, uh, pretty impressive how how much of a, a, a wide ranging audience uh, it has had both firefighters and uh, and non firefighters alike. So it's been uh, it's been a humbling experience. You could Google uh, my name or the name of the book on Amazon and it's available there. Um, it's been a bestseller in four or five different categories at different times on Amazon. It's just been it's been an amazing uh, ride so far, and I, I'm so appreciative to uh, to spend some time with you guys. And it's always always a good time when you could spend when you can spend an hour or so with some other like minded folks that are into the job the way I am. It's a good day. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Now, yeah. When we're talking about the people you want to hang out with, I always joked with the guys in the firehouse that um, you know, in my off time, um, I'm not. Up, I'm not putting roofs on houses. I'm not, you know, laying carpet. I'm not uh, selling cars and all the other things people do. Uh, when I'm not uh, at the firehouse, I'm down at the training division trying to figure out 
how to develop new drills and doing sets and reps and figuring out ways to make, you know, things more interesting or understandable or those. That's just what interests me. That's what that's what fires me up. And I want to go be with those people. You know, it's so I want to go be with the Mikes and the Franks and I want to go be with the folks who really dig the job. And um, I, I can tell you that throughout everything you said today, brother, it's not a surprise, but through everything you said, that's what came through. That what we do matters, that it, it matters in a significant way, this calling that we have and our role in it is essential and you want to prepare to be really good at it. And, and I would remind all of you, when you're good at it, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> man, when you're good at, man, when, when you're good at this thing um, and you're not you're not worried when the bell hits and you're showing up and it's just like, OK, this went wrong. That didn't quite go the way we wanted it to, but that's OK. Um, this thing we do is a lot of fun and the people we do with it, do it with are awesome. Um, Here's the book gang. I, you know what? I'm going to try to get this to where cornerstones of leadership on and off the fire ground training, teamwork and mentorship by chief Frank Lee. I hope you will get a copy of it. Um, Somehow we haven't quite sorted it out yet. We, we like to do lots of fun stuff, but Mike and I are going to buy a copy of this and we are going to, we are going to give it to one listener uh, one person who shares the podcast. Again, uh, this thing will air next Wednesday. So, well, you'll be seeing it then. So I guess, <laughs> but we're going to figure out a way between now and then we're going to post that we're giving away one copy of Frank. Frank has it at his house. He's going to personalize it to you and send it to you just as a thank you from Mike and I for listening, for being a student of the game and for sharing this with other people who might not might need to hear what the chief had to say. Um, Here's the thing. You just listened to this for an hour and a half. How many of your members, and maybe the members that maybe aren't quite as motivated as you are because you're fired up, you just spent an hour and a half or whatever listening to three old guys talk about fire and leadership and that type of stuff. So you're obviously engaged. But how many people are you coming to your mind right now in your firehouse that would greatly benefit from the conversation Frank just had from his heart about loving this job, training in this job, passing it on, learning from your mistakes, leading. Um, how many How many of your kind of fence sitters would really be blessed by that? We want you to share the link with them so that we can create more of you. We can we can cause a ripple effect and good stuff is getting to all of our members, just, just not just the fired up folks. So, uh, Michael, any last thoughts uh, before we before we shut her down? Uh, my last thought is I just want to say thank you to Chief Lee, Frank. It's been a pleasure. But also, I just want to tell everybody out there, there is no shame in loving this job and oh, being a buff, as the chief man. said. There is no shame in that. Those are the people who want to be better. Those are the people who are going to come save your butt when you get in trouble, who are going to help you get better. Those are the people you want to be like. There's nothing wrong with that. Love the job, and it'll love you back. The job is its people. It's its training. It's responding. It's all of that. And boy, I have I have loved the job, and I've gotten the love back. And um, I just it's just been quite a journey. And the more engaged you are, the more fun it is. The more you get back out of it. And you know, so be engaged and don't be embarrassed, ashamed about it. It's it's okay. It's great to love the job. The three of us love the job. And now look at us. Yeah. Look at us here on his podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
Well, gang, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, I hope you had a blast. It's our privilege to have again every every six weeks or so. We have the brightest and best in the fire service, and, and that certainly happened again um, this week. I would encourage you to get the book. Uh, here it is once again. Um, you can reach out to the chief if you'd like him to come and teach and talk. And, you know, from uh, from the bottom of Mike and I's heart, uh, from when we first started doing this little radio show many, many, many years ago, uh, our mission has stayed the same. We're going to bring you the brightest and best in the fire service. We're going to let them tell their story and share their passion. And so now we have shared the passion of, of Chief Lieb with you. And Mike and I would like to exhort you to find it in yourself, to find that thing in your department, find that thing in your firehouse, find that thing on your crew that fires you up and dig this sacred calling that we have been, we, we have been given such a privilege to go on this ride. Our badge has been, gang, it has been fought for and sacrificed for and, and died for to mean what it means. Find that thing, find that passion, capture the energy that you just heard from Chief Lieb or that you always hear from my buddy, Captain Dugan. Find it, make it great, and go out and enjoy the heck out of the privilege that you've been given to be on the greatest ride in the world. You, you, you're, on the, you're on the ride of the, of the fire service. And uh, we're, we're privileged to be on the ride with you, man. God bless. And we will see you next time on the Mikey G and Mikey D Show. Rock on. Firestore, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Firestore makes is about you, the customer. They wouldn't be where they are today without you, and they don't take that lightly. They understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. The goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit them at thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop the family of brands that include Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more.